Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real to us because we believe that helps us apply them to our lives better, and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Carrie Mulstein, and I'm so excited for my co-host with me, Dr. Jennifer Lane, who you've heard before. But um, uh, before we get into introducing Jennifer, who I love doing these things with, I I should say that uh, Jennifer and I both... Uh, I think actually are very happy to just talk with each other and and uh, learn from each other. But what we really want is for as many people as possible to uh, be blessed by what we're doing here. And so we're going to ask you, our audience, to help us with that. There are different things you can do depending upon what platform you're on. If you're on YouTube, leaving comments and likes and subscribing is good for for all of the platforms, subscribing or following or whatever it is for that. For example, Apple Podcasts, if you download the episodes, which is probably your default, but you can check and see, make sure you're downloading them. You can rate and leave a review. So for each of these platforms, there are little ways that you can uh, do something, and that helps more people see it. So we want to bless as many lives as possible, so we'll ask you to consider doing that. Uh, now, to be able to talk about uh, Dr. Lane, who uh, we've been blessed to have on before, and she always does such a wonderful job, and she'll be on with us again. Um, but uh, Dr. Lane, who I taught with at BYU-Hawaii and was in administration at BYU-Hawaii, besides uh, teaching in the, the religion department there, has her degree from Claremont. Uh, so if I remember right, uh, we, we I know we did like Ugaritic and uh, Hebrew together, yeah. but I think you're also doing Greek as an undergrad. Yeah. And then, and then did... I went on to, and my focus for my PhD was history of Christianity, where I actually looked right. even further down the tradition, how the Bible was understood and followed more in beyond late antiquity into the Middle Ages and the Reformation. Yeah. So. And and the, the masters in between was like New Testament, right? So it seemed like yes. yeah. undergrad, you did like really, really old stuff and then middle old stuff and then <laughs> kind of old stuff. And yeah. you just kept uh, getting that broad range so that really you're qualified, like you'd be the perfect person to teach at the Jerusalem Center because you're qualified to cover like all that whole range of history. So well, it's a fascinating happy. range. So it's, <laughs> it is. It's, it's a pleasure to to be here and to to discuss the scriptures that meant so much to Christians throughout time and and of course as Latter Day Saints, what a blessing it is to have the New Testament witness of Christ. So glad Agreed. to be here. And I, I think my uh, audience is blessed to have you bring the, your your wide range of teaching experience and research experience to be with us. So today we've got a, a whole bunch of little books. Uh, what are often called the pastoral epistles, and and maybe you can help us understand what that means. Um, I should have given you a warning about that. But, oh no, that's um, fine. <laughs> but I'm sure you've talked about it before. So that the the pastoral epistles and uh, Philemon and and so on. So these are uh, it's an interesting uh, little collection that we're talking about today. So just take us where yeah. you'd like to go with this. Well, like you said, these are really you know in previous epistles, and this is part of you know just and I'm sure everyone knows this already, but why we're studying these at the end is because they're so short. So that the order of the book in um, of the books in the New Testament isn't based on chronology, it's based on size. And so Romans is first because it's so long. And these are very short. And so they're near the end of the sort of the Pauline um, body of texts. And then Hebrews is kind of in the middle because even you know for a long time people are saying, is this Pauline? Is it not Pauline? Let's put it in the middle be- before the other um books of um, their letters and other parts of the New Testament. So we're, we're getting to the end of Paul's writings. And when we get to 2 Timothy, as, as far as people understand, this really is the end 
of his writings. And so we'll actually look at that last. The others, but as you note from the names, they're all to people. They're not to saints in a city. So it's a different, there's sort of this personal one-to-one -one mentoring relationship with people he knows, people he loves. And just like we'd write a letter to a person rather than maybe something to a whole group of saints so that they have that more um, personal dimension to them. So they're really beautiful and um, sort of structured for that, that person, personal connection. So um, it is, and I know it's not exactly a one-to-one -one ratio, but it's almost like an apostle that has taken around a member of the 70 to teach him how to do his ministry. And now yeah. he's off doing it on his own, but the apostle still giving him some advice he's, and helping exactly. him to know, or a bishop or a stake right, president, right. like so president or something. Yeah. Leadership mentoring, I think is a yeah. good way to think about it. And we do see like a theme of how did, who should be a bishop come up in several different places, like what should be these qualities. So these are things that church leaders need to think about. Paul's been a long time, you know, in his multiple decades of service. Um, and so he wants to share his experience with those who will be following him. So I, I think yeah. that's a good way to think of this sort of mentoring. Yeah. That and the, pastoral. Yeah. And, and as, as we're, we really are nearing the end of Paul's life and probably Peter around the same time. So yeah. I mean, this is training the new generation of, of leaders. That they, so want, I, they want them to know what they know so they can, they can keep going. Yeah. So I have another question for you. And I, again, I should have warned you about all no, this stuff, no, but I'm just fine. thinking of it uh, right now. Um, uh, I know a lot of people feel like um, th these are also sometimes called the prison letters, along yeah. with a whole bunch of others, because Paul is is writing them from uh, prison. But uh, there's some debate as to whether Paul was in prison in Rome at one time and just for a long time. And all of these are written from that one time in Rome or right. whether he was released and went and traveled to a few places. And these may be written either some of them during that show or he's then in prison again and during what's yeah. called the second imprisonment. And and we don't really know which of those is right. the case, but uh, it, it, anything you'd like to comment on along no. those lines? Or? No, I really don't. I mean, I've heard both reasonings and, you know, I could see either, either one of them being yeah. compelling um, but I do think the point about this, he knows, I think he does know that he's getting near the end of his, his ministry. And so that there is a sense of, of, um, retrospection, like he's able to look back and, and to think deeply about what really matters and to, to want to pass that on. So I yeah. think that those are key, um, sort of a frame of reference in addition to just speaking to people in their their lived situation where they're at and um so yeah. especially in second timothy you get that feeling he knows i'm i'm yeah. pretty close to done here yeah yeah that definitely and that's again i think we'll kind of end with that just because it is that that sort of final sense of this is the witness he gives of the life he's lived and um it's a great way to wrap up yeah um this, this little body of epistles great okay so, but, but let's start with the, the first epistle to Timothy. So um, obviously this is someone, if you look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he uses this phrase in several of the epistles, the sense of a, having a son, my son in the faith. So someone he loves, someone he feels this, that he's, because um, there's the brother and sister, but the, the father, son, the sense of he's helped raise him spiritually. So that, yeah. that sense of he, he cares about him, he wants to help him succeed um, when it's his, it's, you know, it's his going to be his generation. It's going to be his time. And um, 
So I love that, that kind of personal touch right at the beginning. And another verse that really jumps out at me in chapter one, I think is sort of that spirit of retrospect of looking back and where he talks about, um, you know, there's the warning about living holy lives. And this goes through most of these epistles, but by verse 12, he talks about the, the this verse 11, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So he's, he's thinking, I think about what a privilege has been to serve um, the Lord. And then he has this, these beautiful words. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. So he has a sense of personal relationship with Christ whose servant he has been. So the sense of a Lord servant relationship, our Lord who hath enabled me um, for that. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So I, th I think this is like, if you're writing your personal story at the end of your life and he's looking back and thinking what a privilege it's been that, that Christ, um, that the, he came to know for himself where he thought, that Jesus was leading these people astray. He came to know he was the Lord, that he was the Messiah and that he's become his Lord and that his life has been changed. And I love that, that expression of en enabled. Sometimes we, in modern English, we kind of look down on it. Like if you're enabling someone, you're facilitating them doing things mm -hmm. that are self-destructive. But yeah. here in this sense, it has a very positive, that it is that idea of grace, this enabling power that we can do things with Christ we could never do by ourselves. And I think he's looking back at this entire this ministry he's had and, and seeing how Christ has made it possible. And then he talks and in the next few verses, you know, he looks back at his life before coming to know Christ. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious, but that through Christ, it says, I obtained mercy. And so he he feels this gratitude. And then in verse 14, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So this is his entire life, sort of his post-conversion life is a life of feeling power, feeling grace, feeling love, and that he's tried to communicate that, that which changed him, he's tried to invite other people to experience as well. Yeah. So I, I just love, I love that. And, and this, um, and the witness again, verse 15, you know, almost go verse by verse, but obviously we don't have time to read all these together, but you know, this, I think this 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 is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. This is his witness that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am chief. So the sense of he knows he needed help, he knows he needed mercy, and that he experienced that mercy, and so that he again, howbeit for this cause, I obtain mercy. Then verse sixteen, that in me first. Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life um, everlasting. And I appreciate it. I was just listening to um, a, re, some reflections on Joseph Smith and how I think it's important to, to think about Joseph Smith's prayers very often, especially early in his life, focusing on seeking forgiveness, seeking mercy, yeah. and that he came to know Christ as someone who brought mercy to him and that changed him. And so he was able to go forth. I think we see, I think we can find this pattern for all of us. Like, like Paul talks about a pattern to them, which should hereafter believe on him that as, as we, I think this is part of why daily forgiveness and, and daily repentance is, this is something we want to keep 
focusing on because the more we can seek to repent, the more we feel mercy, that that empowers us to then go forward with love, with gratitude, with humility, to do the right things for the right reason, um, gets us out of, you know, feeling of pride and doing the right things because we want to show off. We want to, you know, right. make other people look bad, but that um, doing it out of this, you know, this, this feeling of he's kept that sense of humility, even though he probably was, you know, it was decades since he was the sinner, but he still, he still remembers the mercy that was extended to him. Yeah. And it's, it's powerful. I mean, in some ways as we're doing these epistles, uh, you, you see Paul doing this a little bit, and I'm I'm also tempted to kind of just sum up a whole lot of his ministry, right? But you yeah. you sense in all of his epistles, including in these last ones that we're covering, um, this kind of always a little bit like Elma the Younger, this always mindful of I was in a bad place, and yeah. I am so grateful that Christ saved me, and this desperation for everyone to leave behind the the old world and to come to Christ and and a, a kind of frustration and sadness yeah. for those because he has clung to this through all sorts of difficult times and then he sees people who have left the world behind come to Christ and then they leave yeah. Christ behind yeah. and you sense this kind of uh, frustration and sadness from him that that I, I, in particular you see it in these epistles but you see it in, in lots of his epistles yeah yeah and I think that that is. It's so real for him that he can't not but feel the pain of what he knows people are are going, either are or will experience and having separated themselves from a life in Christ and from being, being close to him. And so he, he's just, you know, this, this spirit of witness that he keeps, I think that drives him and that what, what allowed him to keep going in this grueling ministry for so many decades is because that that feeling of this is there is no other way it's only through christ yeah and that he knew that and he wanted everybody else to to know that as well and um yeah he 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 gets the 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 peace and forgiveness that comes from christ and is so sad about anyone who won't come to it in the first place or anyone who he, he just thinks why would you leave it, it? Yeah, yeah, why? Why would you leave this? It's only, it's only worse if you leave this. Please stay here. Yeah, and so that seems to be his constant plea: leave the world behind and be here with Christ, right. because He gets it. He's been there. Yeah, and he he really does. And so he's he's and he knows that it's it's a way of life. You know, it's not just concepts that you like check off a box. It's I believe this, yeah. but it's a, a relationship and living in that relationship. And you know, in the next chapter, we see this this prayer that he's um and i think his understanding of christ in verse five he talks about there's one of God. chapter two so we're in chapter two right yeah, so chapter yeah. two so he he has a sense of the importance of christ and i think that that changes then the way we interact with other people because we can see how christ is so we're we're learning how we need to be and so christ is the mediator so there's one god and one mediator between god and men and that is christ jesus so that he is the one that gives us the, the ability to be reconciled. In verse six, he gave himself a ransom for all. Um, so he he's the one that his intercession on our behalf brings us to this, back to unity, back to the presence of God. And, and, and I think that sense of mediation, to me, kind of informs why prayer is a key issue. Where he talks about praying, you think, well, why praying he talks about 
supplications in verse one of chapter two, supplications, prayers, intercession. So I think this idea of intercession and mediation are tied together. This is Christ's nature. He intercedes, he mediates. And so that we then have an obligation as we are growing to be more like Christ to, to, to have that role and to pray even for people who are not godly. I mean, presumably the Kings and those who are in authority are not church members. They're not mm-hmm. people, but there's a feeling that, that we need to ask God's help for them, but also that, that the, the world can be better if, if they're help that, that we may le- lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and, and honesty so that God wants to, to help us, do what we need to do. Um, so the, the sense of we, so we're praying for, we're asking, we're pleading, right? For this kind of mediation, for this help to be able to live godly lives. And again, the, no, and I think he can have faith in those prayers because you look in verse four is like that what we're praying for is good. In verse three is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior. In verse four, who will have all men to be saved. So this is, the father and the son, the purpose is that everybody comes in. It's not yes. an exclusive club. It's an invitation that all, all might be saved to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And so having that knowledge, then you know, I think just puts, puts us where a life of prayer is, is keeping connected, is keeping sort of plugged into that relationship. And, yeah. um, and, and then, you know, we look at eight, where he talks more some specifics and, and these are, I think are cultural specifics where he talks about people praying, lifting up holy hands. We know from pictures of the early Christians that they did pray with raised hands. Um, and then he talks about women. And, and again, I think he's, this is, he's describing their world and this is sort of how they lived out what they felt called to do. Um, some of the, the specifics I think are going to start to feel like really distant and, and alien. And this is a different world. And I think it's important for us to recognize that. And, and we're really different as Latter-day Saints than, than some other Christians who see themselves as, you know, and it's a blessing of having modern day prophets and apostles, right? Because it's not right. just the Bible that tells us how to live. Like we we can accept the, the witness of the Bible, but we don't, we're not bound by every phrase um, because we know that he Paul's speaking in sort of in his frame of reference in his cultural world about the role of women, the role of men, about teaching and praying, and that so whatever he thought is, I think, you know, describes sort of how his frame of reference, but we don't have to to be distressed because we have again additional teachings about the role of, of women in the church that are going to be very different in our day than yeah. than they were at Paul's day. So. And that is the blessing of having modern prophets to help us know how to interpret and what God's yeah. uh, current uh, guidelines would be. Because uh, it, without that, I would look at this and say, okay, I, I think that's probably just about Paul's uh, Paul's culture. But this is the Holy Bible, ineffable. We can't, uh, you know, go outside of that. So we're just still going to have to go with this. But right. but instead, I can look at this and say. Okay, well, I know we're currently being taught full and equal partnership and so on and so on. Right. And uh, and so I can look for what are the eternal principles here and leave behind the 
contemporary practices of Paul's day right. and and adopt the principles that I'm being taught by a modern prophet who is uh, Paul's uh, counterpart in our day. Exactly. And I think that is, it's the Lord, what a blessing to know that the Lord calls people for a particular time to teach and that the eternal principles they teach are going to last through time. But some of the specifics, counsel that was relevant in one cultural world isn't necessarily going to be relevant in another cultural world. And to to be able to um, to say, yes, the Lord was speaking through his servants, but he was speaking to his servants at that time and place. And um, to be grateful, as, as I, know, I certainly am, to know that he continues to call servants. And that's going to be moving on to chapter three is where we, we see again this, this theme of calling servants. So you have apostolic servants, but you also have sort of on a congregational level. Right. And um, and I think this chapter helps us appreciate church leaders are human, but at the same time, they have to also be people that can be respected. And so this theme of why to, um, why you know, and I remember teaching this, I'd, I'd have students, let's brainstorm, like, why would the Lord care? Why would it matter that, um, you know, that a bishop has these qualities? And I, I really appreciated some of the, the thoughts that students would come up with, the sense of, you know, because everyone knows, you know, your bishop is your neighbor. He's a human being like you. But at the same time, you you need to to know that he can live in such a way that the Holy Ghost can be with him, that he can get direction. Um, and so some of these um, criteria, like in verse 12, where it talks about. Um, uh, actually, that's in chapter four. Sorry. thinking in verse 12, it talks about um, the word conversation. And this is, I think. Sort of so, so cha- chapter so, four, verse so 12. So we're jumping sorry, to chapter four, verse 12. And I think okay. this might be, again, where Timothy is a church leader. And so like, we have these, these qualities that church leaders need to have of being sober and not being brawlers, not being contentious. But at the same time, you know, he, they, they're I mean, maybe feel overwhelmed sometimes too. And I think this is this, since like they're, they're trying, you know, I, I, I know that some bishops are like, ruling well over their own house and they're feeling like ah you know i don't know if this is you know this, yeah. it's just i'm doing what i need to do and so so we go to verse four i think here's paul speaking to a church leader um we're telling telling timothy even though he may be younger to not not be intimidated by that not not feel like bad let no man despise thy youth but be an example of the believer. So it's the same principle that we're being taught in chapter three is to be, to be exemplary, not perfect. No one's going to be perfect, but to be an example of the believers in word and here conversations, probably better translated conduct. Hmm. Um, So the way we behave. And I think all of us sort of applies to church leaders, but it actually applies to all of us because if we're not an example of believers, then we give people reason to doubt who Christ is we need to be witnesses. I think it's a part of being a witness is, is being an example of the believers, but it's like even more so on those who are given positions of responsibility. Um, so word, conduct, charity, spirit, faith, purity. And so this is this sort of this obligation to live in such a way that, um, that people can, can li- are willing to listen to and, and to follow. Yeah, and this is uh, this is an interesting uh, concept. Uh, th- th- these descriptions of what leaders should be like, and I'll, I'll just tell you. I mean, 
uh, I've read these lots of times, uh, yeah. not as a bishop, but thought, well, okay, this applies to me in as a minister, ministering sure. brother. Anyway, this is my first time reading it as a bishop, yeah. and uh, and it doesn't really strike me differently than it did before. Yeah. But uh, but the it, it's it puts us in an interesting in between place because it can feel crushing. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, I am a member of the church. I'm a, a counselor in the Relief Society presidency, or yeah. uh, I'm a Sunday school teacher over youth, and so my my example has to to be it's important, and, and I have to be conscious of that. And yet, if you're too conscious of it, pretty soon you're doing everything for the wrong reason, right. and you feel guilty because no one can live up to all these things. And we all are mortals, and so right. So yeah. uh, it, being too conscious of it can be crushing. Being not conscious enough can cause big problems, uh, and it's yeah. a, a difficult road to walk. And I, for me at least. The way in between, and Paul talks about this in a, in a couple of places here, is, uh, well, we, we just need to be doing things because we love the people right. we're serving and we yeah. love God. And then the, the other things start to flow naturally and the guilt goes away and the, yeah. the, the kind of crushing burden. And we just are serving out of love and admitting, yeah, I I, I say it wrong sometimes and yeah. I do it wrong sometimes. So, yeah. yeah. And I think I, I I know sometimes, you know, in the, in the Protestant tradition, there was a a, a critique of a kind of works righteousness. And I think, you know, there's, there's some merit to that critique in the sense that if we think that we're, we have to do everything right by ourselves, it, it's not helpful, yeah. but, but instead, but we do need to be righteous. And so we don't want to get rid of the righteous part of it, but rather than the saving ourselves, like we're doing all these things so that everyone will look up to us, but that we want to be good because of our gratitude and our love for the Lord and keeping our eyes single to him and staying in that relationship that that it changes that it's not like we have to but we want to and that the, the kind of the gratitude that leads us to live lives of holiness is a very different like you said it's a different motivation um it that it, it, it brings more peace and it brings more hope and um and i think there's power because it is like you said earlier about being enabled being empowered to do and to be what we need to be so so i think that that we read these two sort of to-do lists in in light of this bigger gospel picture of what Christ is is calling us to and will help us to do with his help. So yeah. those are really, really good points. And and I think that little um it's sort of hinted at in verse 14 in chapter four, neither neglect the gift um that is in thee, um, uh. which is given thee by prophecy and the laying on of hands of the presbytery so that i mean we, we might it might be tied to set being set apart or ordained but i think for all of us it's going to be the gift of the holy ghost and very good um like if we do things and this is going to be a theme that will, will come in a number of different places but doing things to invite the holy ghost when we feel that that it helps change our hearts and we, we want to be and do what we need to do rather than being crushed by the sense of expectation that people are watching me and I can't do it all. It, yeah. it, it changes the dynamic dramatically. Very good. Very good. So. And that, that verse to me is uh, powerful because I, uh, it, it makes me think that sometimes we underappreciate and and maybe as a result yeah. underutilize the gifts that come to us. So, I mean, it, it, we can, as you said, consider it a couple of ways, like someone who has been set apart to any calling, whatever it is, has priesthood uh, power in that calling. Uh, right. I mean, they, they have been given 
a greater ability, greater, often that translates into greater love and greater, yeah. <laughs> uh, greater insight to, into the people that they're trying to serve. But uh, th- we underestimate that and and neglect it in a way, right? Uh, yeah. Although we've received it by uh, prophecy and the laying out of hands. And so that I think that's true for every single calling any of us will ever have, including the calling of being a member of the church, which we received, as you said, by the laying on yeah. of hands, confirmed a member of the church and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we so underappreciate the power of that gift and and what we can do because we have the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if I, I believe if we just think of that more, trust in it more, mm-hmm. act on it more that we can become more effective tools. And I'm, I'm talking to yeah. myself more than no, anyone No, but it's, it is. I think what we all need to remember, and I think that's the neglect not, is it's easy to forget that this these promises. And that's part of how Christ is with us, is what he sends his spirit to be with us. And so that, that sort of keeping that covenant relationship, staying close to him, is remembering to, to invite the Holy Ghost, to listen to the Holy Ghost, because Christ speaks through that. Um, that influence to allow us to to know what to do and just to have the help we need. Yeah. So yeah. It's beautiful stuff. It is. It's, I mean, I think it's sort of the key. It is the key of the gospel is what Christ has done for us and what Christ has given to us. And we receive those gifts, then, you know, he, he'll, he's, he's getting us home. He's taking us back and we have to receive, we have to keep neglect, not the gift to use the gifts that he's given us. And um, so in fact, that next verse is what I would love to invite myself and all of the audience uh, to do as we think about the gift uh, that is given us every gift that we've been given by laying on of hands, right. To that, to take a moment to now meditate upon these things and that these things is the gift that's been given by the laying on of hands, meditate on these things and give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. But, but take some time to think about it. What does it mean to have received the Holy ghost? What does it mean to have been set apart in a calling and give yourself to whatever that means and whatever you've been promised during those things. And, and let's see where that takes us. Amen. No, it, it is. I think it is, it, if, this is a foundation we build on. And we, if we're, it's a strong foundation, then we'll be able to flourish. We'll be able to have the stability and the growth that we're like, we're tapping into Christ through inviting the Holy ghost to be with us. And the, 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 the good fruit will come when yes. we make time to neglect, not that gift. And like uh, you neglect a little plant, it's going to wither up and die. But if you yep. pay attention to it, it'll flourish and you'll have the good fruit. And that's um, absolutely that's that what the covenant relationship is designed to do is to give us this abundant life where Christ and his spirit are working in us and through us. And so this, you know, the, the, the power and the beauty then has to come with the kind of the reality of lives and situations. We kind of get into that with chapter five up here. We have people who need help and how do we help the people and what's the right way to help them. And, you know, these are very practical problems and especially leaders have to, you know, what's the right balance? Who do you help? Who, and one of the principles I think has been reinforced in our day um, in verse 16, we see sort of the family, you go to the family first. So Mm -hmm. that if, if there's somebody in your family that isn't able to care for themselves. So here a widow, as an example, let them, the family relieve them that the church may not be charged. But of course the church is going to be there. It's going to be part of the solution, but just the sort of 
you know, there's an order to things and how, um, so you do what you can as a family to help each other, but it may be that, you know, that you need a, a, a bigger safety net. You need more help. And that's, that's certainly where the church is, is part of that. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Maybe I could even give some personal yeah. examples. I don't want to take up all of our time, but no, 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 I, I can't think of important. this. Yeah. I, w- without thinking that. So uh, until very recently, I was a ministering brother and, and before that a home teacher back when we had those yeah. uh, to a wonderful uh, lady who lives just around the corner from me, who, when she did pass away a couple of years ago, she was 103. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when, we, when we celebrated her hundredth birthday, you know, she had out her newspapers uh, from remembering D-Day and remembering, you know, also the, her newspaper from walking on the moon, anyway, all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and she had, she lived alone, had this house with a big, beautiful yard and stuff. And, uh, and I really felt like I, I was going with my boys. So all three of my boys ended up being companions with me to minister to her and uh, uh, really wanted to be doing something for her. It was so hard to ever find anything we could do for her because, you know, her great grandchildren were mowing her lawn. Uh, her children and, and grandchildren were um, uh, doing the weeding and coming in and winterizing the house and all this kind of thing. Right. So uh, she had that family net in such a way that really there was nothing we could do other than just spend time with her. To, so she had someone <laughs> to visit with uh, as much as we wanted to do other things. At yeah. the same time, there are other people who are just as wonderful who just didn't have uh, that, that we were ministering with that just didn't have as many family members around or family members that lived far away and couldn't, you know, they could, mm-hmm. they could call and visit with mom, but they couldn't be there to mow the lawn and so right. on. And, and in those cases, then it was up to us to go yeah. and mow the lawn and, and get it, rake the leaves. And uh, you know, that's something in fact that my, my priest quorum does every year. We go around and rake the leaves for people who just have a hard time getting out and raking yeah. it themselves. And and that's uh, that's what the church is for: is to uh, it, the family is the first line. And and so you already said all this, so I don't need to yeah, say it again. No, but, but, I, but I hope that those examples yeah. can help us think about it. And that really is, I think, it, it is the, the beautifully illustrate the principle that that Paul was trying to teach with you know our, the modern day relevance of understanding that pattern and that we, we need each other, but sometimes people need more and sometimes people need less. And, and hopefully as families, we do everything we can, but also as ward members, we do what we can as well. And, and that's, it's a blessing to, to be able to bless and lift each other. So, so it's, um, it's wonderful to see these true principles that um, can be relevant in, in any age and um, we see another one in chapter six, and this sometimes gets gets misquoted or misunderstand or talks about um, sort of money oh, yeah. as being the root of all evil. And if you look at the passage, it's not actually chapter six, verse 10. That's not what scripture says. So here Paul teaches it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And I think that's incredibly important because this really goes to, back to this core question of worship. What do we love? What do we worship? What do we put right. first in our lives? And when we start to make money, this, rather than a way we worship God by using our money to serve, instead making money the object of our worship <laughs> because we love it, then then really we get turned around. And the, as it says here, the root of all evil, that it's by turning worship away from, from God that we we our lives are are out of order and um, we start doing the wrong things and having the wrong motivations. 
even if we're doing the right things, we're not doing them the right way. So, so I think yeah. it's again another very relevant contemporary um, issue. It is, and it's it's so easy for so many things to start out with the wrong motive and to go wrong, right? Even even the thing you're. You, you love others, so you're trying to set a good example and so on. And then pretty soon that could become the wrong motive. Or, Prideful, yeah. Yeah. Or you're trying to earn a, a good living so that you can take care of your family and build up the kingdom. And then pretty soon, you know, you get the, the praise for just the living, making the good living part. And, yeah. and that becomes a focus. Uh, my guess would be that every single person thinking or reading this or listening to this uh, can take a moment and think of something in their life where they started out with the right motives and it might be slipping yeah. just a little bit. And right. and it's in recognizing that that we can try and move it back to absolutely the, the better motives. And this, I, I think, is, is the beauty and the power of the kind of the watching ourselves and the daily repentance that President Nelson calls us to, that that to to just make sure that we are keeping our eyes single to the glory of God. And if if we're starting to feel unsettled if we're starting to, to to feel like we're losing something to look what what might go wrong and it part of it is we're taking our eye off we're doing we, we, our motives have slipped and that, yeah. that that changes the way we feel about what we're doing even if we're still doing good things it changes the experience and so i think that the where our love is where your heart is there where your treasure be also and um, to to watch that so like in verse 11 flee these things follow after righteousness so like don't do like just watch watch out <laughs> yeah yeah when when you recognize it in yourself and to me this is where this is where the scriptures become very real yeah when you can say okay you know i i was doing it for this reason but i can see i was doing it for that reason yeah. and now what does paul say he says flee after that get rid of that just once yeah. you've recognized in yourself what can you do to run away from that and instead run towards godliness faith love patience meekness right that that that, that godliness and faith and love and patience that's going to be a great motive and if you can run away from whatever uh false motive we all have and run towards those so that then the next question is how do i do that right and that's that's yeah. where these things become very real i think absolutely and and i think the verse 12 follows up on that of mm -hmm. of seeing this at this as a fight but it is the good fight of faith and so the fight of faith is to fight not to fight other people but within ourselves to fight off unworthy motives to fight off fear to fight off doubt to fight off you know holding something else up as more important than god and following following the lord and listening to his servants that that, that this is the good fight of faith is to, to continue to um to put the lord first and sometimes we have to fight off the natural man <laughs> in, inclination within ourselves to yes. to worship something else um and so this is and that's the very process of laying hold on eternal life is choosing the kind of life that God lives mm -hmm. and and letting go of of other sources of satisfaction. I think other things, anything else will make us happy is to to let go of eternal life, but to to trust that that Christ and our Heavenly Father are the source of happiness. That's to lay hold on eternal life. And oh, that's it's, it's beautiful. It really comes down to, you know, who do we trust? And who do we follow? So, so. so as you say that, it, it just makes me think of uh, President Nelson's talk a, a little over a year ago on uh, finding true peace and rest, right? Where he said, the world yeah. will teach you that pursuing, uh, I think the four Ps were uh, power, 
popularity, possessions, and pleasures of the flesh. The world will teach you that those things will yeah. give you happiness and, and rest, but they cannot. Instead, it's letting God prevail in your life more than anything that that brings you true happiness and peace and rest. But so often we pursue, as we said, it can be a subtle change, Absolutely. but we're pursuing things that are will inevitably fail us. Uh, as opposed to running to the righteousness and so on. So I think that's what like you're the saying. False gods, say. right? That yeah. we're worshiping, yeah. and that, that come to idols, and yeah. to 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 let them go, and to to be willing to um, to trust. Yeah, and that always mm-hmm. is. And, and like he uses the verb the, in verse thirteen, where he talks about quickening. I give, I charge you these things in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things. And before, and I love we, we, it's an old fashioned verb, yeah. but it means to make alive. And yeah. so as we're connected, and this is what covenants do, they connect us. It's like we're tapping into a source of power and light. And as we stay connected, and we we do everything we can to 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 keep that connection, then we're we're going to, to be quickened. We're going to be quickened in the spirit. We're going to be able to do and be things that that we couldn't um, otherwise. And, and maybe this this will be somewhat tangential, but as you say that, and as you talk about the quickening and what covenants do and the life they give and so on, it has reminded me of something I wanted to say at the beginning that I didn't, which is I highly, highly recommend your book. I have it somewhere oh. here behind <laughs> me. Uh, I, 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 it's, it's something about your covenant connection with Christ. Finding Christ. Right. Will you tell finding, me the title finding again? Finding Christ in the Covenant Path, yes. um, Ancient Insights for a Modern World. Yeah. which uh, had a, a really profound, I, I was uh, writing a book on covenants as that came out and I read it and and it had uh, some great impacts on me. I highly recommend that book to everyone. I, we'll try and remember to put a link to it oh, in the, the notes, but uh, it's it's powerful because you help us see the, the relationship uh, and the power and the life that comes from the covenant. So, uh, and I think you just highlighted that right there so beautifully. Well, it is. I mean, that is the good news of the gospel and what the restoration's for more than anything else is is having the priesthood authority so we can make these covenant relationships so we can tap into the life that is in Christ. He wants to give it to to everybody, but the only way we can get access to it is through priesthood ordinances and covenants that, and that everyone's invited to come and to have that. And so it's, it just, you know, I think the more, more real that is for us, the more grateful we are for the restoration and for the power and authority that's been reestablished return to the earth now we're we're we've had so much yeah enjoyment I'm talking too... about first timothy <laughs> yeah um, i'm taking too long on this aren't no I? <laughs> no but let me just touch on really really quickly i, I want to come back and, and end with 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 second timothy but just really fast um we just flip to um titus and philmon and there's there's just tiny tiny little chapters and um with Titus, we get back the theme of, again, church leaders again. So here's Titus. He's, again, we see that same language in verse four, my son. Yeah. So he's he's someone that he's probably like, um, he's nurtured him. He's helped him grow up spiritually. And um, he, he wants to help him succeed. And he talks about like, what, what are the qualities a bishop needs to have? And so again, this, this sort of, is dimension we we talked about before yeah, um, very similar themes in in yeah, these books yeah yeah and and again this beautiful image here in in chapter two with with grace this comes back again for the grace of god 
that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us um, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So this theme of because of Christ and because of his grace, we're being given power for godliness. The redemption is from sins for holiness, that Christ is there to enable us to live lives of holiness we couldn't live on our own. The natural mm-hmm. man part of us, it, we don't have that capacity in ourselves to live these godly lives, and that, which again goes back to why the redemption matters, why covenant matters, because Christ, again, some of my, my, one of my most favorite verses here in verse chapter 2, verse 14, he gave himself for us. So this is Christ, his life, his perfect life, and then his atoning sacrifice. He gave himself for us that or so that in order that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Exactly what we see taught in the Book of Mormon, that we're being redeemed from sin. We're being redeemed from iniquity mm-hmm. and, and purify unto himself a peculiar, better translation probably is purchased, that we're, we're bought with a price. We're not our own. This is a, a deep witness that Paul has that we're purified as a peculiar, a purchased people, zealous of good works. So the good we do isn't to be saved, but it's because we have been saved. Christ has has bought us, and he is then enabling us to live holy lives because of the redemption, that we're redeemed and given power for godliness, for holiness, and that so that 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 then puts us in this responsibility to 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 live as as we are his and not to to be servants of sin. I mean, these are themes that, that Paul's gone over, you know, epistle after epistle after epistle, but, you know, it comes back to this real urgency here of, you know, we used to be that in, so chapter three, verse three, we used to live this that bad way, but we're not that yeah. anymore. After the kindness and love of God, now, you know, we're not saving ourselves, but that because of his mercy, he saved us. And so we can be through the Holy Ghost, become new creatures in Christ. And that we're, that we're getting this, this power and grace to become heirs of eternal life. He He can and will change us as we invite that influence into our lives. So again, just sort of this epistle to Titus, it's almost like a second witness of, of what he's taught to Timothy, the same principles of being empowered and enabled. Um, and, and, and I think you'll find that theme like in every single yeah. epistle, this one that we've left the world behind and yeah. come to Christ and he will save us. Uh, that, that's, that's Paul's most consistent yeah. message. That, that, that being saved is learning how to live godly lives. So that's what salvation, yeah. it's not, that that is salvation. Yeah. <laughs> that they were being saved from a life that's ungodly and living a holy life. It's, it's a quality of life. It's eternal life. It's God's life. And that yes. we're we're being able to live that with Christ itself, with the gift of the Holy Ghost, that we can be and do what we could not do otherwise. And yeah. um, we, we we'll come back and finish up with with Second Timothy. But I wanted just just a little shout out to to the Epistle yeah. to Philemon. It, it is very historically um, specific. This is a world, and we have to put ourselves back in the Greco-Roman era, Roman Empire, where people have estimated maybe this might be an exaggeration but almost maybe half of the population i mean slavery was just incredibly widespread that people 
who were wealthy lived off of the labor of other people. So people who were noble were people who did not work. And then people were servile people who did work and and the people who worked worked because they had to be work they had to because they were slaves i mean this was just it was so common and and so what we see here is it's going to seem really weird for us because paul is basically writing to one church member asking that another church member who's a runaway slave can come back and that he not be mad at him (laughs) And, and we think well no you know the gospel of christ is about freedom and and we do know that in, in the modern era, that some of the great um, early people who fought for emancipation and fought for a life beyond slavery, a culture beyond slavery, were were deeply committed Christians. And so that, that this idea that, that the, the slave is a brother is a deeply Christian motive. But in the Roman world, there was just no, there was no possibility of changing the social structure. It, it, yeah. it, it it was so deeply baked in to the way everything ran. And so Paul is basically instead focusing on, okay, in the world that we live in, that we can't change, how do we treat each other? And that we can treat each other as, as brothers in the gospel. And, um, and so I think that's what he's saying to Philemon is please treat Onesimus as your brother in the gospel, be kind to him and if he's done something, and this is I think, this beautiful witness of Christ in, in verse 18, if he hath wronged thee or owed thee anything, ought, put that on mine account. I mean, here's Christ in Paul. I mean, but so that's what really what Christ is saying is like, if you anyone's done anything that's offended the Father, put that on my account. Yeah. And so that we can have our debts cleared, so that we can be reconciled and at peace with God. And and so Paul. Paul's trying to follow that example and to reconcile um, uh, Onesimus and Philemon and help them. And he's willing to pay the price, whatever it is, to make things right. And I, I, to me, it's just a beautiful witness of Christ yeah. and what he's done. Some some fantastic uh, symbolism that I don't know that Paul was intending it as symbolism, but I think yeah. it works that way. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's just, this is a real life little scenario that, you know, they had to to work through in the world that they lived in. So, um, so with that, um, as you mentioned, it's, we, we turn to second epistle to Timothy, second Timothy, and it is pretty clear, I think, and I think this is generally agreed upon that this is, this is right at the end of his life. He knows that he's done what he needed to do. And um, so sort of, I, I think about, you know, and this is something I would share with students when we talk about this, like if you're at the end of your life, what is the most important thing to share? And then and then there's this um this story about the prophet Joseph. He's he's passed away, but it's like he has, oh yes, I need to tell you this. He comes to Brigham in a dream and he tells him, and I have his quote, um, tell the people to be humble and faithful. Be sure to keep the spirit of the Lord, and it will lead them right. Be careful and not turn away the still small voice. It will teach them what to do and where to go. It will yield the fruits of the kingdom. So it's sort of like this, of all the things I have to tell you, um, living so you have the Holy Ghost with you is the most important thing. And if if you look at this epistle, I mean, almost the very first thing he tells him in verse six, uh, he says, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up 
the gift of God, which is in me by the putting on of my hands. And we've talked about that. And of yeah. course, it could refer to other, to setting apart or ordination. But I really love this image because the, the verb here of stirring up may be better translated as like you're stirring up the embers of a fire. You're mm. rekindling. So it's like the fire was there, but you need to do something to to whether you add more fuel, add more oxygen, to let it come back to life again. And, and this is such a powerful image for because we know there's the water baptism but there's also baptism by fire and that is this purifying influence of the holy ghost and so if we've let that dwindle down it you know maybe for a week maybe for a day maybe for an hour to rekindle it to not to, to not let it go dark and to stir up the gift of the Holy Ghost. And, and then he goes on to talk about what we can do because of that gift. So with the Holy Ghost with us, we don't have fear, but instead we have power and love and a sound mind. And, and we're able to be witnesses of Christ. Um, and that, but, but, but it starts by going back and doing things that stir up that, that gift. Um, Christ of all the gifts given, I think this is in prophets of, you know, the covenant makes it possible for these spiritual gifts to be given. And the gift of the Holy ghost is, of is the gift, everything else. I mean, even the, the temple endowment is like talking about fullness of the Holy ghost, right? It's an expansion of the gift that we're given. It's a deepening of the gift that we're given with the laying out of hands of that, that gift of the Holy ghost. So I, I really love how, how, Paul starts out this with that focus on um, inviting the Holy Ghost into our life. Very good, very good. And maybe I, I love your image of the uh, uh, stirring up is like blowing uh, embers on a fire. I, I, so when I grew up, my my dad wanted us to heat the home primarily by wood burning stove. So it was mm -hmm. often my job in the morning to go out and blow on that fire to get it going again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and what works is not a great big, quick breath, but a long, gentle, slow, steady, mm -hmm. but consistent breath. Right. And I, I think that's part of what the stirring up is that we don't want these yeah. little fits of spiritual starts. But, I mean, that's better yeah. than nothing, but, but that gentle, consistent, consistent, yeah. Uh, bringing of oxygen, uh, it, it, those things that we know we need to do. Yeah. Uh, President Packer once was asked, what, what do we need? What do you have to do to have the spirit with you all the time? And he said, earn it. That was just two word answer. Um, yeah. just, we, we know what we need to do. Just do it and do it consistently. Right. And and I think, you know, talks about scriptures being real or these principles being real. You know, for me, I, I just I've seen the relationship people you know when people talk about i know i should read the scriptures but or i know i should yeah. and i think we just have to get to the point where we realize no this 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 is non-negotiable yeah. that we you know reading the book of mormon every day we've had so many prophets tell us to do that 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 really so if i really want to have the holy ghost with me i have to do this this is yeah. this is you know these are things like because again, that's consistency, like you say, that low, yeah. slow, you know, that we do these things consistently, praying morning and night, reading, reading scriptures, especially the Book of Mormon every day, you know, faithfulness and, you know, keeping, 
you know, keeping our covenants, fulfilling our responsibilities, everything we do that it it invites anything we, we choose to do that invites the Holy Ghost is going to fill us with that light. It's going to fill us with that power that, that Paul's testifying of. And so it's, yeah. you know, I don't Prayer. want to be in the dark, yeah. right? We don't want to, yeah. we want to be, have the light and the warmth. I, I just, we had this eclipse the other day yeah. and it, um, and then we'll, I'll just flip to the end, but I want to end with, again, this is a real life experience, right? That, that Keith and I went to a place where we could be, went down to Circleville, where we could have the full effect and uh, the, it's sort of the totality for this ring of fire eclipse. And it was the most striking thing for me was not so much how dark things got, but how cold things got. Mm. That little by little, as as the sun was obscured, it got colder and colder and colder. And it, it made me realize how grateful I am. I take it for granted how grateful I am for the warmth as well as the light. Because without that sun, we we would we would not have, we would not be alive, of course, but, but just how cold it is. And so realizing anything that we can do, spiritually speaking, to have the full light that's available through the gift of the Holy Ghost is, is essential. And every little thing we can do every day to be disciplined in our discipleship um, makes us, and, and I mean, Paul talks about himself. We go to chapter three, where he talks about the scriptures, Right. And um, so chapter three, verse 15, that the scriptures can make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, mm. again, is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So making daily scripture study absolutely non-negotiable in our life is is one of the ways that that we've been given to to stay alive spiritually um and Good. it's a it's a gift that we have to use and that invites other spiritual gifts Good. And, I, and i love that verse 15 really kind of tells us that the point of the scriptures is to bring us to christ really yeah. i mean that's that's that they should do all sorts of other things but through the holy ghost they bring the holy ghost into our lives to bring us to christ yeah. anyway and then no and that's it it's it's, it's a it's it's about deepening the relationship. It's not about knowing yeah. things that we can show off like, oh yeah, yeah. I can do super script, script, scripture search super fast. Like that's not the goal. It's, it's, it's hearing the voice of the Lord as we are listening, we get promptings, we get instruction, we get help to, to do and to be what we need to be. And that we, we can't live without it. We can't have a, a life in Christ without making time to hear him through his word. And, um, and I think that that's just, I, it, it's really striking that he puts that right before, um, you know, leading up to chapter four, which is sort of the last things he has to say, Holy ghost scriptures. And then um, where he, you know, he, he ends in this beautiful way, right at the, where he says in verse six, so chapter four, he's his last words. I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. So that he's lived out that relationship with Christ. He stayed close to the savior. He's listened. He's followed. He's, he's made changes. 
and he has confidence that the promises are sure. Um, here, hereforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them also that love his appearing. And so I think to live in such a way where we want to be with Christ, we we love him, um, he is the highest priority in our life, that, that we can look forward, just as Paul looked forward, to the exactly same promises, because the promises are sure, the promises are real, that's uh, so the covenants are there, so we have we can trust in the promises, just like Abraham trusted in the promise. Mm-hmm. We're willing to do and be what we're asked to do because um, we can trust that the Lord will be faithful. Beautiful. Yeah, I know. As I, as I read uh, that summary by Paul, I, I have to think, and I, I don't know that I would have thought this phrase a, a month ago, but I look at that and I think, wow, Paul was really thinking celestial. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. from beginning to end, as we look at all these things, he was always thinking celestial. Let's not look at these these small things. Let's look where does this lead? How does this connect us to Christ? How does this get us to be with him and become what he wants us to become so he can give us what he wants to give and so on? Yeah. Paul thought celestially. And uh, how fun to see prophets uh, from across the ages resonating with each other as they try to get all of us to to think celestially. Absolutely. It really is this, this invitation that it's a kind of life, that that's eternal life is a quality of life. It's a celestial kind of life that we're being asked to, to start to live now so that we can live it forever. We're asked to choose it now so that we can choose it forever. That, but we have to want it now or else we may never want it. And yeah. that's, that's the invitation to keep keep looking to Christ, keep turning to Christ and asking for help and mercy. If it's not our highest priority right now to ask for help. So that to want what we want, we want to want it. Maybe we don't want it, but we can ask for help to want it more than we do right now. And, yeah. and Christ is merciful and he will help us. He'll get us out of wanting. If we want to want something different, he'll help us. I know that's real. Amen. Amen. Well, that's that's a great note to end on as we kind of say goodbye to Paul's letters and we'll move on to other things. Well, maybe Hebrews, maybe not. So that's hard to know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that gives me, I guess, a good chance to to invite our audience to listen next week where we'll talk about Hebrews, which may have been written by Paul. Uh, Dr. Dan Belknap is uh, the guest on there, and he he uh, always loves to take some deep dives on a couple topics. And and so he'll do that with us on Hebrews. So we'll invite you there. But uh, but this has been a wonderful summary of uh paul it's a great way to say farewell to someone who has been a guide for christians uh in so many ways and uh, did so much and and we've had a great few months really learning from paul and i'm grateful for you helping us with that jennifer it was a privilege thank you grateful to learn together and uh, we'll invite our audience that uh, if there's something in here that's touched you to do something about it in your own life but also to share it with others both by word of mouth but also using those share functions in your apps and whatever else and and likes and everything else we talked about but we just want to help as many people be blessed by jennifer's and paul's words uh, as possible (laughs) so that uh, we can all come to christ so thank you and hey amen and have a (laughs) wonderful day